we are going to talk about life after death in our second session this evening. And uh, to begin with, I want to sort of uh, share something about uh, these, these pyramids. This, the Great Pyramid at uh, Giza, at, uh, just outside of Cairo in Egypt, is the last remaining wonder of the world. From the seven ancient wonders of the world, this is the last one that you can still go see. Everything else is gone. But this one is still here, and it's comprised of 2.3 million blocks of stone in that pyramid. Now, some of those blocks of stone are like 15 tons in weight. A lot of them are about one and a half tons, but some of the big ones are 15 tons in weight. It is perfectly level at the base. It is aligned north, south, east, and west. And I'm told, and I don't obviously nobody's done this, but I'm told there's enough stone in that pyramid that if you chopped up the bits of stone into 30 centimetre cubes, you know, 30 centimetres by 30 centimetres by 30 centimetres, that you could put those 30 centimetre cubes together and it would go round the coast of Australia twice. That's a lot of stone. That's a lot of stone. I don't know how true that is, but that sounds an enormous amount of stone. And yet, the Pyramid of Giza and all the other pyramids, they were not temples. They were not palaces. They were built as tombs. And when you consider um, how long and how many men it must have taken to build these absolutely enormous structures just so they could bury somebody. That's an extraordinary effort to go to because of what you believe happens to somebody when they die. And uh, I've had the privilege of going to Egypt a couple of times and you can go to the Cairo Museum and you can stare at some of the great mummies of Egypt. This is the mummy of Ramesses the Great in the Cairo Museum. And I have been and I have knelt down by his casket there and I have spoken to Ramesses the Great. But he never spoke to me. Maybe you have um, seen the, um, a few years ago, did you, do you remember seeing the story of King Richard's body or his bones being found in a car park in Leicester in the UK? Some of you remember that story. Uh, Richard III, he was the last uh, king of England to die in battle. He died over 500 years ago, I think 1485. And his body had been rapidly buried and they were looking for his body. There are people who were looking for the body of King Richard and they found, they, they decided to dig up an old car park and they found his bones there. And then they, they um, did some DNA testing and they ensured that this really was the bones of King Richard III. And then they had a, a reinterment service at Leicester Cathedral. And so here you have a... a memorial service for King Richard that was 500 years after his death where he would have been buried once before. And so you have this question, what happens when a person dies? There are a great variety of answers to that question. Uh, The Bible itself even asks this question, Job 14.14, that's easy to remember. Job 14.14, it says, If a man dies, shall he live again? And that's the question everybody wants to know. And there are a variety of answers around the world, and in fact, a wide variety of answers, even within the Christian faith. So, for instance, some people might suggest, excuse me, they might suggest that When a person dies, you go to heaven. Or if you've been a bad boy, then you go to hell. We'll be talking about hell tomorrow morning, so don't miss that. We're going to talk about the good news about hell, but we'll talk about that later. So some people believe that when you die, you go to heaven or straight to hell. That is the most popular teaching in the Christian faith. 
There are others who believe that you go to a place called purgatory when you die, even if you're good. That you're, before you get to heaven, you go to a place of purging, a place of purgatory, before you get to go to heaven. There is other people who believe, as we mentioned before, that you go to limbo, you're in a state of limbo. Other people believe that when you die, you come back as a ghost and interact with other people. There are other people who believe in the world today that when you die, you actually get reborn as another creature. Not always as a human. If you get to come back as a cow, that is the optimum you can hope for in some religions. So the question is, and then of course... There are others like I used to believe when I was an atheist and an evolutionist, I used to believe that when you died, that was it and that was the end. That was the final end. But we want to know tonight, what does the Bible teach in regard to what happens to you when you die? Somebody had a a tombstone and it said this on it, Stop, my friend, as you go by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be. So prepare yourself to follow me. That's a pretty sobering thought, right? Pretty sobering thought. The the bottom line is we know that on this planet, if we live long enough, something tragic is going to happen. Somebody wasn't satisfied with that idea of following him and they uh, graffitied underneath, to follow you I'm not content until I know just where you went. <laughs> Which I think is fair enough. right? Why would you want to follow somebody and you don't know where they're going? right? So what happens to you when you die? Somebody said there were really only two important questions in life. Number one, did anyone ever return from the dead? And number two, is it available to me? Because it might be nice if there was a story about somebody returning from the dead, but if it's not available to me, what does it matter? Right? Did anyone ever return from the dead, and is it available to me? And the fantastic news tonight is the answer to both those questions is a resounding yes. The Bible says this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus has the keys of death and the grave. And not only was he dead, but he rose again. But he has promised, and we've read it already in this series, I am the resurrection and the life, he says. Whoever believes in me shall not... not, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And uh, you might be wondering what evidence is there. I uh, did a a short series of apologetics where I looked at some of the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. You realise that we would not have the Christian religion today if Jesus had not risen from the dead. It's that simple. We would not have the Bible if Jesus had not risen from the dead. It would just be a non-story if Jesus had not risen from the dead. Jesus managed to persuade people after his death and resurrection that he was real, he was alive, he said, touch me. And it was those events, his resurrection appearances and the actual interaction with his disciples after his resurrection that convinced them that he was who he said he was and they wrote. And that's why we have the New Testament. We would not have the Christian faith. Nobody would have ever heard of Jesus Christ had he not risen from the dead. Somebody once said there is more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than there is for the existence of Julius Caesar. And uh, that evidence can be tested. But Jesus rose from the dead and he offers that to us. We have already spoken about the fact that Jesus died, he was buried and he rose again. In order for us to understand what happened to him when he died, what happens to us when we die, what happens in death, when is the resurrection, do we die and then go straight to bodily resurrection? You remember that story of King Richard III, buried, 500 years later we dig him up and we bury him again, 
Apparently he hadn't been resurrected yet. That's interesting. We want to know what happens to us when we die. Perhaps in order to understand the mystery of death, we want to go back and see what the Bible says constitutes life in the first place. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to go back to the Garden of Eden to where God created humanity. And it says here, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. When you read the creation accounts, when God creates the birds or the fish or the beasts of the field, he just speaks them into existence. God says, let there be and there was. But when it comes to humanity, God takes special care in creating humans because they're going to be made in the image of God. And so God forms man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. I want you to notice what it says in the King James Version of the Bible here. It says, and man became a living soul. A living soul. Okay, so this is important to understand. In our modern translations it says a living being. A living soul is a living being. That's what we want to understand. A soul was a word that we used a lot more in former times, in centuries gone by. But what we notice from this passage here is that the body formed from the dust of the earth, the body plus the breath equals a living soul according to the Bible. Now the question we want to ask is can a soul die? The Bible itself answers that question. However, what is very popular in the world today and even popular within the Christian church is the idea of an immortal soul. In other words, that at death we actually sort of step through a door and we, become, we, we, we end up in some other form of life. Is that what the Bible talks about? Can a soul die? Well, the Bible tells us in Ezekiel 18.4, it says the soul who sins shall what? It shall die. The soul who sins shall die. Now remember, we found out what does a soul represent? A soul is simply a living being. Right? That's, that's the comparison we made there in, in Genesis. The soul or the living being who sins shall die. So here's the question, how many have sinned? Everyone. The Bible says, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if the soul who sins shall die and we've all sinned, how many die? Everybody. Everybody. So we might conclude then that the body minus the breath equals a corpse. Let's have a look at this from a biblical standpoint. Notice this in Genesis 3.19. This is after the fall and God is addressing Adam and Eve. It says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. He says, From dust you were taken, and when you die you shall return to the dust. And we know this for sure. These are some tombs that I took a picture of this in uh, Turkey. These are some above ground tombs and they've probably been robbed out to see if there was you know, any uh, treasures in there, any valuables. But we know that a body returns to the dust after death. Right? We, we know that from observation. Right? It, it says, uh, for dust you are and to dust you shall return. Here's another verse in Ecclesiastes. It says, then the dust will return to the earth as it was. But there's another element here. Notice this. And the spirit will return to God who gave it. Ah, what's, what's this spirit that's going to return to God who gave it? Is that the essence of who we are? Is that the, the person going to heaven? Well, that word there, spirit, is uh, a word in English that we, we kind of, the, the, there's a word in the old Hebrew that is represented there. It's called ruach. That's not a good pronunciation. But that word ruach is a word that we translate into spirit, breath, wind, air. 
That's what it really means, and, and sometimes we use the word spirit there. So the same word, for instance, is used in this passage, Job 27, 3 and 4. It says, as long as my breath is in me, and the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness. So he's saying, as long as the breath of God is in me, and that word breath there is the same word, ruach. Okay, it's the same word for spirit or wind or air or breath, the same word. And he says here, the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. Now, what's in your nostrils? Don't tell me. Don't want to know. But he's saying the Spirit of God, in other words, it's the breath that he is breathing, yeah, is in my nostrils. I'm actually alive. You know, one of the things that if you see somebody who looks like they've fallen down or maybe they've been knocked down, one of the things you you do when you get to them to see if they're still alive is what? You check that they're still breathing. That's one of the signs of life, isn't it? We want to know, is the person breathing? Because if they're not breathing, there's some serious bad news. We better get them breathing soon or that's going to be life over. So he says here, as long as my breath is in me and the breath of God in my nostrils, it's to- that's what it means when it's talking about the breath of life there. Now, Where then the idea of the immortal soul? Well, pagan Greek philosophy taught that the soul is immortal. And in fact, if you went to many different religions and many different ancient cultures, you would find that they believed in an immortal soul. We talked about the Egyptians. They believed that the soul was immortal. You could talk about um, many other different religious faiths. They that many of the pagan philosophies believed in the immortal soul and the Greeks certainly believed it. And I want you to notice this. This is from the writings of the Anti-Nicene Fathers. Um, It's from Tertullian. Tertullian was a Christian. He lived between 160 to 220 AD, so early in Christian church history. But I notice what he says here. He says, I use the opinion of Plato when he declares... Every soul is immortal. So here is Tertullian, he's a Christian, but he's choosing to use the opinion of Plato when it comes to what happens when you die. And that notion, which he recognises there, is a Greek philosophical notion. It's not a biblical notion. It's a Greek notion, and we'll see that later. He's saying, I'm buying into Plato's view, his view of what happens when you die. And this began to creep into the Christian church until today, this is the majority view in the Christian church. The majority view in the Christian church is that when you die, you either go to heaven or you go to hell or you go to purgatory or you go to limbo, but you don't just die. And this is important, and I'll tell you why it's important in a little while. When it comes to immortality, there's an interesting verse here in 1 Timothy 6.16. It says, talking of God, it says, talking of uh, God, it says, He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has what? Immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. It says, He alone has immortality. Well, if He alone has immortality, guess what? We don't. Now, of course, this is being written by Paul decades after the cross. So he's, it's not like, oh, well, maybe we were, you know, we were dead before the cross, but after the cross we, we put on immortality. Well, no, he's saying God alone has immortality. You remember all the way back to the beginning when the serpent approached Eve and then Eve approached Adam and the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. That was one of the things that the devil in the disguise of this serpent had said to Eve. God had said very plainly, in the day you eat of the tree that is forbidden, you shall surely die. Here the serpent comes along and says, you won't surely die. In fact, he went on to say, You'll become as gods. You'll be better off than you are now. You'll you'll enter a higher sphere of existence. And if we're honest, 
that lie of the devil has really seeped into the Christian church. So that many people believe that if you're a follower of God, if you're a follower of Christ and you die, you immediately after death, you enter a new sphere of existence. And sadly, many preachers, many Christian teachers have been saying the same thing as the devil over the last 2,000 years. You will not surely die. But God says you will surely die. And in fact, as we mentioned in Ezekiel, the soul that sins, it shall die. Now you might be getting worried and saying, well hang on, if we're not going to heaven when we die, uh, if the, the people who have died are not in heaven now, is there no hope? Just hang in there. We'll get to the resurrection. But we want to know when the resurrection is. Psalm 146, 3 and 4 says, Do not put your uh, trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. In other words, the Bible's simply saying, Don't put your trust in humans, put your trust in the Lord. Because the Lord's the only one who can rescue you from the grave. We can trust in human teachers, human philosophers, human you know, superstars, but they all come to the end, don't they? Don't put your trust in princes nor the Son of Man and there's no help. His spirit departs, he returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. The Bible's quite clear on this and there are many, many verses and we're going to share just a few of them tonight. In Ecclesiastes 9 verses 5 and 6, this is very clear here. For the living know that they will die. That's unfortunate, but we know it, right? For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred and their envy have now perished. Do you think that if you're happily married and you were to die and go to heaven, do you think that you would stop loving your spouse? Or that you would stop loving your children? Or can you imagine... If somebody had borne a grudge all their life and they hanged anger towards somebody else and they died, that suddenly that hatred's going to stop if they're still alive somewhere. It says there, their love, their hatred, their envy have now perished. The Bible says the dead know nothing. It's very, very clear. Some people say, yes, but that's in the Old Testament. What about the New? Well, this is in the New Testament. This is after the cross, after Jesus has ascended to heaven. Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching. He says, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. Now, King David lived a thousand years before Peter. Let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. You know you can go to Jerusalem today and visit the tomb of David. I've been there. You can visit the tomb of David now. And he goes on in verse 34 and 35, he says, For David did not ascend into the heavens. But he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. David, the Bible says, he's dead, buried and not in heaven. And I want you to think about this. David in the Bible is called a man after God's own heart. God says of David after his death, where is my servant David who can do no wrong? If anybody's going to make it, David's going to make it, right? He's going to be amongst the saves. Jesus himself is called the son of David, right? By the way, the word David, the name David appears in the Bible more than any other name. Interesting. So David is definitely going to be among the saved, but here Peter is very clear. He's dead, he's buried, we have his tomb, he's not in heaven. And this is after the cross. So if David's not yet in heaven, well, what happens? At this point, before we talk about the resurrection, I need to tell you there are some exceptions in the Bible. And it's these exceptions that often derail some of us when we're looking at the scriptures to find out, you know, where things fit in. So, for instance, there are some exceptions. Enoch in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, 
The Bible says he walked with God and then God took him. It says he walked with God and then he was no more because God, he couldn't be found because God took him. What's interesting in that passage, if you look through the genealogy, it says such and such lived so many years and then he died. And such and such lived so many years and then he died. And such and such lived so many years and then he died. Then he comes to Enoch, he says he lived 365 years and then God took him. Evidently, there is something different to dying and being taken by God. Enoch was taken to heaven. Another exception is Moses. Now, Moses did die. The Bible says that Moses died aged 120. And God says, it's time to die. Come up on the mountain. Make your, put your house in order. And uh, come up on the mountain with me. And he died. And according to Jewish tradition, he was buried there on the mountain. Angels came after three days and resurrected him. That's according to Jewish tradition. It's not in the Bible. But how do we know Moses is alive? Because he appeared to Jesus in the New Testament. Moses, and the next one we're coming to in a moment, Elijah. Moses appears to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he discusses with him what Jesus is about to accomplish at the cross. Elijah was also there. Elijah didn't die. Elijah was a prophet of God, did mighty mighty deeds for God, and then God sent a fiery chariot down to collect Elijah and he went to heaven on a fiery chariot. Ever heard that song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot? It's about Elijah. That's about that story. Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, coming for to carry me home. God sent a fiery chariot, Elijah is up in heaven. Elijah also appeared with Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration, appeared to Jesus. By the way, what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration is a mini picture of the second coming of Jesus. Jesus is glorified, there's a cloud there, the voice of God is there, Moses is there, he represented all those who have died and are raised in Christ. And then you have Elijah who never died. And there'll be people, when Jesus returns in glory, there'll be those who have died in Christ, who are resurrected, and there'll be those who never die. Maybe it's some of us. I hope so. Right? Wouldn't it be nice never to die? Jesus come in glory and we walk into heaven? What a fabulous thought. So Moses and Elijah appear to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and they have this sort of mini experience with Jesus there. And then, of course, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 52 and 53, there's a passage in the Bible that says that when Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake and many of the tombs broke open. And it says that they, many of the, the saints in Jerusalem were resurrected after Jesus' resurrection and they went into Jerusalem and appeared to many. Now, in my thinking... They must have been people who had died relatively recently, otherwise how would you recognise them? I mean, if I came up and said, hey, I've just been resurrected, my name's Elijah, how would you know? Whereas if somebody who died two months ago or two years ago was resurrected and they came back, you'd be shocked, right? So I'm guessing that those who were resurrected at that time went into Jerusalem and people said, wow, something big must have happened. And they said, yeah, it was the death and resurrection of Jesus. So there are some exceptions, but they are the exceptions. Well, how do you know they're the exceptions? Because of all the other verses in the Bible that said that when we go to to our death, we just go to sleep and we rest in peace until the resurrection of the last day. We're going to read some of those verses. Psalm 115, verse 17, it says, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. If you were saved and you died and went straight to heaven, wouldn't you be praising the Lord? Of course you would, right? You've just got it to everlasting life. But it's saying the dead don't praise the Lord. Notice what it says here. For Sheol... Now, sometimes that word Sheol is used as a word, we sometimes translate that word to hell. But it more better represents the grave. It's actually the place of the dead. 
For Sheol, the place of the dead, cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit... By the way, where it says those who go down to the pit, this is where we get the idea of going down to hell. It's really just going down to the grave. When you dig a big hole in the ground and you put somebody in it, that's going down to the grave. And that's what it means. For Sheol, or the place of the dead, the grave, cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living... The living man, he shall praise you as I do this day. The father shall make known your truth to the children. The point he's making here is he was saying, fathers, teach your children about God because one day you might cease to be alive and then you can't do it. And he's saying that we can't praise him when we're dead but we can when we are alive. Job 14.10 says, but, but man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last and where is he? Good question. It tells us, so the man lies down and does not rise. At least not at that moment. Till the heavens are no more. See? Man lies down, does not rise, till the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, says Job. He's gone through some dreadful tragedies. He's saying, hide me in the grave that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. Yes, God is going to resurrect his people, but it's at the end of time, at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not before. Job 14, 14 and 15, we started off with this question. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you. That's the resurrection. And it's at the end of time. Here's another one. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him any more. You ever seen these films where people come back and haunt houses? You seen those, you know, when they're rattling chains or shaking the windows or whatever? This Bible tells me that the dead, they go down to the grave, he shall never return to his house. They don't come back and haunt the houses. So here's the question what about ghosts? How many of you have ever met somebody who claims to have seen a ghost? I have. I've met several people who've claimed to have seen a ghost, right? I I personally never have. But I remember I uh, used to work with a lady who worked in the office of the place I used to work at at in the UK. And she said when she was about a six-year-old girl, her grandfather had died some months before, but she saw her grandfather walk in through the room and sit on the end of her bed and talk to her. Was that her grandfather? And I've heard other stories from other people as well. What are ghosts if not the spirits of our dead loved ones? Well, the Bible tells us in Revelation 16, 14 that we need to be alert and awake, especially in the last days, because there are spirits of demons performing signs. Some versions say miracles. Spirits of demons performing signs or miracles which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world, I guess that would include us, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. There is a deceiver at large wanting to deceive us on this subject and many others. Why? Because if somebody came back to see me, I was talking to a friend just uh, a moment ago, my father died 11 years ago this month. And if my father were to appear and speak to me, and share messages about the afterlife. If I did not know what the Bible taught on this subject, I would be very tempted to listen and to believe him. That would be very impressive evidence, wouldn't it? But the Bible tells me that the dead are asleep. They're resting in peace. And if that's the case then the devil will use any tools at his disposal to deceive us into believing 
that there's something else out there other than the truths of the Bible. For instance, anybody see the the film Jurassic Park? It really looked like there were dinosaurs, didn't it? I mean, they were very realistic. But we know they were manufactured. right? We, We can create films now with CGI. We can do anything we like, right? We can create images to look like anything. But we know that's just make-believe, right? But if mankind can create images that look and sound really real, do we think the devil is unable to do the same? The devil's been around a lot longer. He's had access to technologies that we can't even dream of. So we have to be aware of this, uh, that ghosts are really spirits, demonic spirits, who have been following the devil, who were cast out with the devil, and that they will do their utmost to deceive. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, that's the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils. And as I mentioned before, some people have an unhealthy interest in the dead and the occult. Notice what the Bible says here. When Jesus was resurrected, this is interesting, when Jesus was resurrected, was it like Richard III and they had to gather up his bits and pieces and, I don't know, try, try and put him in a... When Jesus was resurrected, he met with his disciples and he said to them, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So here's Jesus saying, you know, I've come back from the dead, but I'm not a spirit, I'm flesh and bones. Touch me, feel me, give me something to eat. He's not floating around, is he? He's saying a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when we are resurrected, we will be resurrected to a real body. That's the point. Why is this important? God wants to keep us safe from deception. Notice what it says in Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12. It says, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Well, what were they up to? There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. They used to sacrifice their infants to the pagan gods. Hard to imagine. But then when you consider how we're so happy to use abortion as a form of contraception in the West, we sort of sometimes can wonder about how they could do that. He says, "Don't they made their son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. God did not want his people getting into all that occultic stuff because he knew who was feeding it. It was the enemy from the dark side. So he didn't want his people getting involved in that. Here's a very interesting verse. We've read this before. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right in that verse you have your two options. We will either perish or we will have everlasting life. The Bible does not say you will have everlasting life there or you know, everlasting life in heaven with God or everlasting life somewhere else. It simply says we will either perish or we will have everlasting life. And I know which one I want to choose. But it's right there. We either perish or we have everlasting life. The Bible teaches that death is asleep. On many gravestones you can see the the letters R-I-P which stand for rest in peace. That's exactly what happens when you die. You rest in peace. Whether you're lost or saved... Because the resurrections do not take place at death. They take place much later. The resurrection of the 
save takes place at the second coming of Christ at the end of the world. Notice in Psalm 13.3, and there are many verses that describe death as a sleep. Psalm 13.3, this is David. Remember, we already learned that David is not in heaven right now. He says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David knew that death was asleep. In Daniel 12.2, it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust, this is describing the end of the world, It says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. This represents two different resurrections that are going to occur. One is the resurrection of life, one is the resurrection of shame and contempt. In 2 Samuel 7.12, it says, "When when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers. What does that mean? You go around to dad's house and, you know, sit on the couch with him? No. When it says you rest with your fathers, that means you go to your grave just as he is resting. That's the point. And it says that many, many times in the Bible. Even Jesus in John chapter 11 of uh, that Gospel of John, verses 11 to 15, Jesus had a friend called Lazarus. He was sick. His uh, Friends urged him to go and visit Lazarus and eventually he did. But he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps. And they said, well, if he's sleeping, that's good for him. He'll get well. But Jesus plainly said to them, Lazarus is dead. Jesus used the metaphor of sleep as a description of what happens when you die. Well, when is the resurrection? We've already mentioned it's at the end of time. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13 it says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. We don't need to sorrow as others who have no hope. We have a hope in Christ because he died and is alive forevermore. And he goes on to say, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. When Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So when Jesus returns in the clouds of glory, we go to meet him in the air. The dead in Christ rise and then we go with them to meet the Lord in the air. And we all go to heaven together. We go together Well, you might be thinking, well, what about near-death experiences? Do you know something about near-death experiences? They're only near. The one thing about a near-death experience is it never happens to a dead person. (laughs) Because it's only near death. It's kind of like being nearly pregnant, I suppose. I mean, you either are pregnant or you're not. You you sort of can't be nearly pregnant. And near-death experiences are just that. They're near death experiences. They're not actual dead experience. How does it feel to die? Time magazine asked. And then it goes to point out some of these near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences. Many, uh, many believe out-of-body experiences prove the existence of an immortal soul. You ever heard these stories about people who've been you know, knocked out, they're in a coma or they're unconscious, and they say, oh, I saw this bright light. I want to stand on this stage. I've got a couple of bright lights right here. But they, you know, and they come round and say, I saw this bright light and there was a pink door and a blue door and, or whatever. But you see, we have all kinds of experiences when we're unconscious, right? I said before, you ever had a dream that you felt was really real? I've had dreams that were vividly real. But I woke up and I realised that it was a dream. But when you are in a tragic situation or you've had an accident, you're in a coma, maybe you're in an unconscious state, you might be starved of oxygen, you might be under the influence of drugs. All kinds of things might come to your mind, right? But it says many believe out-of-body experiences prove the existence of an immortal soul, but experts have found a way to trigger out-of-body experiences in volunteers, people who are nowhere near death, Right? By using virtual reality goggles, the brain is conned into thinking the body is elsewhere. 
Researchers believe that those who are unhappy or less in touch with their body are more likely to have OBEs. And there was a similar report, that was in Time magazine, similar report in BBC News back in 2007. What they would do is they would put these goggles on a person and they would poke him in the back with a stick and the person believed that they were standing somewhere over there. We can trick the mind. We can trick the mind. And so uh, that does not demonstrate that we have an immortal soul. Ever heard of these uh, stories of people who died and went to heaven and they come back with descriptions of what heaven was like? There was a a boy, Alex Malarkey. He was uh, six-year-old and he, after a uh, car accident, he uh, was in a coma back in 2004. And uh, in 2010, they published a book, The Boy Who Came Back From Heaven. And he told this story how in the coma he had gone to heaven, he described what heaven was like, told, came back when he came out of the coma, told people what God had told him to say. When he was 16 years of age, he admitted, I didn't die, I didn't go to heaven. He made the story up. So the question for us is, what will we believe Are we going to go with our senses or are we going to go with the word of God? Because we've already mentioned that there are deceptions at large and we can be tricked, we can be conned. But that God has provided the truth for us that we may understand this subject. Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. This happens at the end of time. 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Paul is talking about the last day, the last trumpet, the last, you know, when Jesus returns. Behold, he says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Some of us are going to be alive. That's going to be great. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. He goes on. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. You got anything wrong with your body? Something you'd like to change? Maybe improve? Well, the good news is we're going to get new bodies when Jesus returns. And this corruptible body is going to put on incorruption. And this mortal, we're very mortal, but then we will put on immortality. That's when it happens. Jesus says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Think about this. Jesus says when he comes, that's when he dishes out the rewards. So if that's true... How could it be true that we go to heaven or hell straight after death? Because then we'd be getting the reward straight after death. But Jesus is saying, I'm coming back and that's when I give out the rewards. There are a couple of examples in scripture, and this is one of them, where people say, surely this teaches that we're alive after death. Because Luke 23, 42 and 43 Jesus is on the cross, he has a a thief either side of him, he has a criminal either side of him. One of them blasphemes him, rejects him, doesn't want to know him. The other says to him, he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says to him, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And people say, see, sure looks like Jesus is promising him he's going to be in paradise that day. But it makes a great deal of difference where you put the punctuation. If we put the comma after the word today, Jesus says to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And you might think that that's a little bit flimsy, and you're probably right, it is. But there is no punctuation in the Greek. The commas and the full stops, and the, they're not there in the original writing. So we're not sure where to put that comma. Well, maybe we are. You see, Jesus is dying on the cross. He's got a sign above his head that says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This thief on the cross is looking at Jesus and in spite of the fact that he also is hanging on the cross, he sees in Jesus 
his only hope. And he says, Lord, indicating that he acknowledges that Jesus is something greater than the man who's hanging on the cross. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's saying, you're a king because you have a kingdom. Remember me. And Jesus promises him that day. On that day when it looks like there's no hope. On that day when it looks like both of them are going to be annihilated. On that day when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he says, I'm telling you today, you will be with me in paradise. And we know that that's the way to understand this passage because we have to ask, did Jesus go to paradise that day? He tells us himself that he didn't. At the resurrection morning, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene sees Jesus and she wants to embrace him and Jesus says to her, I have not yet ascended to my father. Jesus hadn't been to paradise by Sunday morning. So he couldn't go there Friday. He was promising in that day that as long as he had faith in Jesus, his, his future was secure and so can ours be. Four times in John chapter 6, Jesus said he's going to resurrect people, he's going to raise them up at the last day. Here's one of those verses. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Here's the final verse. I am the resurrection of the life, he says. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. What else would you put your faith in? What are you going to put your trust in? You can store up as much money in the bank as you want. You can live on carrots and bananas for the rest of your life. You can book yourself in to be cryogenically frozen. Or you can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. He is not only your best hope, He's your only hope. He's the only one I know who's died and come back from the grave and he has demonstrated that he is the person he claimed to be. 